for her to get that second goal. And the moment that she did, because England was coming back, they were getting some momentum again. And it's such a game of momentum. And for her to strike when she did and put it in on, on that backside, the lovely ball in from Lindsay Horan. I mean, this is what Alex Morgan does best. She scores in big moments. And for her, after having scored five in the beginning of this tournament and then gone dry for a bit, of course, for her to put that 6-1 in and finally get over that hump, that's huge when you think about it. Just as a confidence for a forward coming in, especially as they go into this final. Mentally, I thought she was she was great. Physically, she was moving more. She was getting into better spaces. And I still don't think we've seen the best of Alex Morgan, but a great sign that she gets that critical game winner. We are still celebrating the U.S. Women's National Team's victory over England yesterday, 2-1. to one. They become the first team ever to advance to three consecutive World Cup finals. I tell you what, Alex Morgan, what a way to celebrate your 30th birthday. Turns 30 yesterday, scores the game-winning goal to beat the English. We didn't quite cover the 17-76-1 spread, but we'll take it. We'll take it. The U.S. is on to the World Cup final, where they will take on the winner of the Netherlands and Sweden. If I were that soccer ball and Alex Morgan kicked me for 90 minutes, I'd probably just say thank you. Alex Morgan is an American hero. We have got all kinds of stuff to break down today in the sports pen on ESPN-UP. We've got some hockey, basketball news and notes. We're looking way too far ahead into the postseason. Plus, where is Titletown, USA? I think we all have an idea where it is, but I have a method. I've got a formula. It's like a game we're going to play and the results might shock you. But first and foremost, I want to look at the NHL. The NHL is wild right now. It doesn't get the same attention the NBA does, but it's pretty crazy for those of us who follow it. You have some teams that look like obvious winners, that look like they're going to go potentially from worst to first, from burnouts to playoff teams, maybe even cup contenders. I have got 16 teams, eight from each conference, that I think are going to make the playoffs next year. I haven't begun to order them yet, and a lot can still change between now and then. There's still a lot of good free agents out there who could make a difference. But I know the eight teams from each conference that I am predicting will make the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs next year. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Let's get into some of that. In the Eastern Conference, here are my teams. No particular order. I'm going Washington, Pittsburgh, New York is in the Rangers, New Jersey, Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida, and Toronto. Now let me tell you why I picked those teams. Washington was one of the five teams out of the Metro Division that made the playoffs last year. They really have no significant loss from last year's team. They were good enough to win the Metro last year. Why wouldn't I think they can do it again? The only significant loss would be trading Matt Niskanen for Radko Gudis. They get him from Philadelphia. But Gudis can hold his own. He's a good pickup. And there's nothing that makes me think Washington has gotten worse this offseason. They were good enough to get in the playoffs last year. I think they're going to be good enough to get back there this season. Pittsburgh, they're my favorite team. And this offseason has been a little heartbreaking. Alex Golchanyuk, I'm excited about him. I already missed Phil Kessel. Pittsburgh is one of those teams that they may not be poised for a cup run, but they're just a playoff stalwart. They are not going to miss the playoffs. They have too good of a team. They're too well coached. They're too well managed. They had a good enough team to make it last year, and you sub out Kessel for Golchanyuk, they should be good enough to make it again this year. I don't think they got significantly worse from last season. I still don't think they're a cup contender, not right now, 
But that could be subject to change when they get that top-tier defenseman. The big money D-man. The guy they traded Phil Kessel for so they could free up cap space. I'm confident Pittsburgh is going to get back to the playoffs next year. How far they're going to go, that remains to be seen. The New York Rangers' big winners in free agency. A couple of years ago, their cap space situation looked like they were headed for total rebuild. And then they dumped a few bad contracts, and they are taking advantage of the last few good years that Henrik Lundqvist has left. They get Artemi Panarin, and they pull an absolute rabbit out of their hat getting Jacob Truba. They flip Neil Pionk for Jacob Truba. New York's added some key pieces around a lineup that has already been pretty good. They've been productive. They still got a step forward to take, but I think they've got the right guys in place to take it. I see New York, as in the Rangers, as a playoff team this year. New Jersey. This team finished dead last in their division last year. 72 points. They finished 31-41-10, but 10 overtime losses. That sticks out to me. A few things go differently. It could be a whole different season for New Jersey. You know, even if they flipped half those overtime losses to wins, they still wouldn't have made the playoffs, but they'd have been in the hunt. With the way the last couple of weeks have gone for them, they should be more than in the hunt this year. In fact, if they don't make the playoffs this year, it's probably time to clean your coaching staff. Their coaching staff is extremely underrated. John Hines hasn't had a lot of success in New Jersey, but he knows what he's doing. He's been waiting for the front office to supply him with pieces like this, and now they have. General manager Ray Sherrill came through big time. They picked up Jack Hughes with the number one overall pick in this year's draft. Keep in mind, Ray Sherrill was the same GM who drafted Sidney Crosby number one overall back in 2005. And then the next day, they get P.K. Subban. They followed that up with Wayne Simmons on Monday. They're getting some key pieces around a team that's got playoff capability. There's talent there. And adding a few more of these pieces seems like just the right recipe to bring that talent out. I have New Jersey making the playoffs this year. I don't think they're going to jump to the top of their division. But as a third seed in the Metro or a wildcard team, absolutely. Tampa Bay. I tell you what, this is it for them. This is their last year on their window. They're losing Ryan Callahan. Medically, he's been forced to retire. And Anton Strollman has taken off across the state to play with the Panthers. They have got a lot of talented players that are coming up in the last year of their contract. They have guys on expiring deals. they got to take advantage of it this year. And last year, it looked like, was finally going to be the year that they put it all together, dominating the regular season, tied for the best regular season record in NHL history. And then an absolute playoff collapse, unlike one that we've probably ever seen in any sport. I see Tampa Bay getting into the playoffs this year. Right now, they have too good of a roster that they won't miss it. How far they'll go, that remains to be seen. I still am not thinking they're going to win the Cup this year. But this is their last window in which they can be a really dominant team in the NHL. The Boston Bruins defending Eastern Conference champs. Again, just like Washington, they've given me no reason to think that they aren't going to be as good this year. They do lose Noel Acciari. He was a big part of their run last year. But they've still got way too much talent coming back, especially on that top line where you've got Marchand, you've got Bergeron, and you've got David Pasternak, who's quietly become a top 10 player in the NHL. Plus, the way Tuka Rask played during that postseason, if he conjures that up in the first few weeks of the regular season as well, Boston's going to be really, really tough to beat. Their roster is just too good and they're too well coached that they aren't going to miss the playoffs. The biggest winners of free agency so far, the Florida Panthers. They got Coach Q this offseason, and now they give him some pieces to work with. Anton Strollman, Noel Lachiari, 
Brett Connolly, and of course, Sergei Bobrovsky. Now again, there's some risk with the Bobrovsky contract because it's seven years and he turns 31 this fall. But you got to take that risk. He's too good. The upside from adding him to Coach Q's roster is too good. This was the shot in the arm that Florida's been waiting for. The Panthers won't just be a playoff team. They could be a cup contender. Under the guidance of Coach Q, there's a lot of optimism out in South Beach right now. Keep an eye on Florida this year. They are a team that could easily go from worst to first, if not in their division, in their conference. And finally, I've got the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, the goaltending still worries me. That's their weak point. But they're finally starting to get away from the idea of not investing in defense. Just thinking if you have goal scores, that'll be enough. They have Austin Matthews, and he's going to do his thing, but you've got to give him some puck support. Got to give him some defensemen. And they did. They went out and they acquired Tyson Berry in a huge trade with Colorado. If Toronto can find a way to get a strong blue line, they can stabilize that defensive unit. There's no reason they couldn't be a cup contender. They've already been a playoff team just focusing on offense. If they become more balanced, they have a chance to actually make a run in the postseason. Those are the eight Eastern Conference teams I have making the Stanley Cup playoffs next year. Washington, Pittsburgh, the New York Rangers, New Jersey, Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida, and Toronto. How about the Western Conference? Here are my eight. Nashville, Dallas, Arizona, yes, Arizona, St. Louis, Winnipeg, Colorado, San Jose, and Calgary. And let me go through each of those eight teams, break them down for you. Nashville's finally made it official. We saw it coming. It was the worst kept secret in all of hockey. Matt Duchesne is a Nashville predator. Dave Poyle finally got the guy. He finally got his guy. If they lose P.K. Subban, that's a big blow to your defensive unit. When they made their cup run a few years ago and lost to Pittsburgh, that defensive core was the anchor of that team. That being said, they've still got some pretty good pieces back there, and they'll be just fine. Plus, they have Pecorine, one of the top goalies in the league. Now you bring in Matt Duchesne, and you've got a lot of capable forwards, but Duchesne adds that star power. He will step in and immediately be the best player in the forward unit. The Dallas Stars' big winners during free agency this week, Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry, make their way over. They do lose Matt Zuccarello to Minnesota, but Corey Perry, Scory Perry, combined with Captain America here in his final years. You couple them with a more than capable goalie in Ben Bishop, and Dallas looks like they are going to be poised for a really good year. Plus, they made it to the second round of the playoffs last year, lost in overtime to St. Louis in Game 7, and they did it all under a rookie coach. Jim Montgomery looks to be one of the rising stars in the NHL. Arizona. I know that had to get your attention, but Arizona's continued to make strides toward the playoffs the last few years, and I think this year they're going to do it. Rick Tockett has steadily built that team up. They've gotten better consistently under him. They go out and grab Phil Kessel, and they add him to a group of young players that show a lot of promise and potential but aren't ready to take over a team. Phil Kessel is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. That may have been the final piece that Arizona was looking for. In my book, it was. I have Arizona making the playoffs next year. The defending cup champion, St. Louis Blues. They'll be back. They're giving us no reason to think they won't. They've been quiet here in this free agency period. But why would they need to be? Craig Berube and what he did leading that team out of the cellar, the literal cellar, 31st to 31 teams back on January 3rd to hoist in the Stanley Cup. 
St. Louis has given us no reason to think that they won't be one of the favorites to hoist the cup again next year. Nothing to suggest that the Blues will not be another dominant team in the NHL. Winnipeg, what a disappointing year last season. They were one of the better teams throughout the regular season, and they get beat out in six games in the first round of the playoffs, albeit to the eventual Stanley Cup champion. They've got a more than capable head coach in Paul Maurice. Why can't they put it together in the postseason? They got Rob Blind on the Jacob Truba trade, but they still have Dustin Bufflin anchoring that blue line. Right now, I would say Winnipeg's roster is probably good enough to be a wildcard team. I think that they're going to make moves during the course of the season, and they're going to upgrade that roster. They're going to be buyers throughout the year. And if they have the right pieces, they have a chance to end up being one of the top three seeds in the Central Division. The Colorado Avalanche. They have been active so far during free agency. Philip Grubauer has turned into a diamond in the rough for them. Plus, Nathan McKinnon. Man, he is something special. He just is. Playoff McKinnon is another level of good. And they've got the pieces around him that they should be able to get into the postseason. They haven't made a lot of moves. The big splash, of course, the other day with Toronto. But they have the right personnel. And Jared Bednar has done a wonderful job building that team up compared to where they were a few years ago under Patrick Waugh. The San Jose Sharks. I'm not expecting a whole lot this year from them, but I do expect them to be a playoff team. They are investing in defense. They lost Jonas Donskoy and Captain America, Joe Pavelski. But they did re-sign Eric Carlson. That was the right move. Got to do something to protect Martin Jones. Again, I'm not expecting a lot from them. They lost a lot of scoring from this year's team. But the defense would be their saving grace, if anything. San Jose might get into the playoffs, but I'm thinking first-round exit if they do. Finally, I've got the Calgary Flames. I think they're going to take the biggest step back of anybody. They were the top seed in the Western Conference last year, and then they got upset in the first round. I see Calgary taking a step back. Mark Giordano, as good as he is, I don't know if he can replicate what he did last year. They don't have many pieces around Johnny Gaudreau. The weight's all on the Boston College alum. And they replaced Mike Smith with Cam Talbot, which is that really an upgrade? I'm happy for Bill Peters after getting fired by Carolina. He goes to Calgary, and he does great things. He turns them into a relevant contender again. But I think last year was their real shot to be a cup contender. This year they might get in, but I'm thinking first round exit. Those are the eight teams I have pegged going to the Western Conference playoffs next year. Nashville, Dallas, Arizona, St. Louis, Winnipeg, Colorado, San Jose, and Calgary. A few teams of note. I think Chicago is going to take a step forward, and I think they'll be the last team eliminated. Chicago's making some moves. They're getting younger in the defensive core. I still think they're your way, and they're getting a much-needed upgrade in net. Corey Crawford's done a lot for that team. Led them to three Stanley Cups, but it's time to pass the torch. Robin Leonard, the reigning Bill Masterson Trophy winner, is brought over from New York, as in the Islanders. I think he's going to be an improvement, but I still think Chicago's a year away. Minnesota's made a few moves. I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is going to last this season. I think Minnesota's going to go through a coaching change. They might be better the second half of the year, and they got some good pieces here in the offseason. A few good complimentary pieces, Matt Zuccarello being the big one. Ryan Hartman is another good complimentary piece. But I still think Minnesota is a few moves away. Maybe they make them at the trade deadline. It wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota does find a way into the playoffs next year. But as the roster stands right now, I don't see it happening. A few other teams I didn't include in my playoff predictions. Vegas. Vegas had a great expansion draft. But now they're struggling trying to keep everybody and trying to pay them. They've got some recognizable names on the roster. A lot of those guys are past their prime, however. 
They are struggling trying to keep the band together that went to the Stanley Cup final two years ago. They overpaid on the William Carlson deal. They're going to come to regret that. And now they don't have money to pay anybody else. Vegas took a step back this year. I think they're going to this coming season as well. The Anaheim Ducks will have a rookie head coach. They're going to be without Ryan Kessler. is going to miss the entire season due to injury. Corey Perry is gone. John Gibson is still in net. John Gibson was their all-star last year, and he got lit up in the all-star game. It's going to be a tough year for Anaheim. The Kings haven't done much that convinces me they're going to get better. Vancouver hasn't done much that makes me think they're going to be better. Over in the Eastern Conference, the New York Islanders, I think, are going to take a huge step back. They lost a lot of key pieces from a team that made a really good run last year, including Robin Leonard. He's probably the biggest loss to them this offseason. Anders Lee is coming back. Signs a seven-year deal. I'm not too sure about that. Well, he's a good player, but I don't know if he's that productive that you want to be locked into him for seven years on that salary. I see Philadelphia being better. Not yet a playoff team, but I think Philadelphia is going to take steps forward. Alan Vigneault has got a great coaching staff there in his first year, but they're still a few pieces away. They need to build up their team around Claude Giroux. Carolina, I don't see them getting back to the playoffs. Justin Williams was a big part of their cup run. He's still on the market as a free agent. And then Peter Mrazek. His luck has just run out. Peter Mrazek, you Red Wings fans know this well enough, Peter Mrazek is just not reliable. Don't make Mrazek your long-term option in net. Oh, and by the way, Sebastian Ajo taking off from Montreal? That hurts big time. Way too many pieces aren't coming back from this year's Eastern Conference Finals team. Ajo went to Montreal. I think they're going to be better this year, and they almost snuck in last season. But I still think there are too many teams that are ahead of them. I think Montreal will fight until the final week. But I don't think they're going to be in the playoffs when it's all said and done. Buffalo's not really making any moves that make me think they're going to be much better or worse. Same with Ottawa. The Red Wings, they're an enigma. They're a mystery box. I'm excited to see what Steve Eiserman does. It's too early to say what the Red Wings are going to look like because I don't know what kind of GM Steve Eiserman is going to be for them. I think the Red Wings can and are going to change a lot before the start of the season. I'm excited to see the finished product and what the Red Wings put out on the ice for opening night. And finally, one of the more notable omissions... Columbus. It was a purge for Columbus when free agency opened on Monday. Duchesne is gone, Bobrovsky is gone, Panarin is gone. They went all in last year. They saw their window, and they went all in on last season, which I think was stupid. Yeah, they made the playoffs, had some great moments, they beat Tampa Bay and knocked them out. But did you really think that you were going to be a cup contender? Columbus didn't invest in their future, and now they're paying for it. They are going to take a big step back this year. With that, let's take a time out. This was fun. When we come back, let's do it NBA style next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon, a day ahead of the 4th of July. Hope everyone's excited for the holiday. Going to have a safe holiday and spend it with some people you care about. I know I'm going. I'm excited for it. I tell you what, I'm also excited for the NBA playoffs. A long ways away from it. Summer League just tipped off. And yet we're going to preview the NBA playoffs 2019-2020 edition right here on the Sports Pen. We're even ordering them, and I want to qualify this before I give you my list. This is all based on what we know right now, which means no Kawhi Leonard. This list is essentially relevant if Kawhi Leonard decided to retire this year, 
decided to go play in Europe. This list is based on what we know right now, how every team's roster stacks up right now. We're going to go through them all. And again, this is subject to change with Kawhi Leonard. And I'm going to give you those changes in case it does happen. Kawhi Leonard goes either to the West or he stays in Toronto. But let's start in the Eastern Conference. I tell you what, for the second straight year, I believe the Milwaukee Bucks will be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and that is regardless of what happens with Kawhi Leonard. I think Milwaukee, with their 60-win team mostly coming back from last year, is going to be strong enough to hold on to the East once again. I think they'll be better than Toronto over the course of an entire 82-game season. Losing Brogdon certainly hurts, but they have more than enough talent there to make another run. I see Milwaukee repeating as Eastern Conference regular season champions. As my number two seed, I've got the Boston Celtics. If you call me Homer or you call me biased, you got to call me wrong. you got to tell me why I'm wrong. If not Boston, then who? Toronto without Kawhi Leonard isn't going to be a contender. Let's face it, they've got some good talent on that team, but none of them are ready to lead a team. Philadelphia's taken steps back this offseason. They may not think so, but trying to replace J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler with Al Horford and Josh Richardson, that's taken a step back. Boston had a good team last year. They've got a good team coming back. In fact, they might be better than last year's team that finished 49-33. and The Celtics are looking at a potential starting lineup of Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown in the backcourt, supplemented by a frontcourt of Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward, centered around Enos Cantor and coached by Brad Stevens. Boston finished two games behind Philadelphia last year. I think they have enough on the roster to pass them. I think Boston, as it stands right now, will be the two-seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I'm putting Philadelphia in the three spot, same place as last year. They aren't going to be as good as they were last year. Horford and Richardson and whoever else they try to put on the roster just aren't as good as Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick. But Philadelphia is still going to have a better roster than most of the rest of the East, and that's why I think they're going to remain as part of the big three in the Eastern Conference with Milwaukee and Boston. I have Indiana in the four spot. Indiana is a team that lost their best player around January of last season, and they still were a competitor. They still fought in the standings. They even climbed in the standings for a few weeks. I have them as the four seed, one spot up from their five seed finish last year, providing they have Oladipo for the entirety of the season. That should improve their record. They lose Boyan Bogdanovich, but they do pick up Malcolm Brogdon. Plus, Nate McMillan is one of the most underrated coaches in the NBA. I don't know if 9 out of 10 basketball fans could tell you who he is, but he has quietly been one of the most effective coaches in the NBA. I like Indiana's the 4 seed next year. I think they're going to make the jump to the upper half of the Eastern Conference playoff teams. Now as the 5 seed, I'm going with the Brooklyn Nets. You might say they had a great free agency, and they did, but keep in mind Kevin Durant does not come until next year. They do have Kyrie Irving. They're upgrading over D'Angelo Russell. And they bring in DeAndre Jordan, albeit they lose Jared Dudley, who is a pretty nice complimentary piece for them. Now, I'm not ready to put Brooklyn ahead of Indiana. Indiana, keep in mind, finished six games ahead of Brooklyn last year without Victor Oladipo. And Kyrie Irving's better than D'Angelo Russell, but is he good enough to make up a six-game gap by himself? With Kevin Durant, yes, but by himself... Not after what I just saw in Boston. I'm not ready to go there yet. I think they'll be better, and I think they'll move up one spot when it's all said and done in the playoff picture. But I don't see Brooklyn overtaking Indiana. I have them as the five seed. The six seed, these are my biggest movers, and bear with me on this. I'm going with the Miami Heat. They're going to make the jump from 10th 
to sixth in the Eastern Conference standings. Now that may sound huge for a team that was two spots out of the playoff picture, but in fact Miami was three games out from getting the sixth seed last year. And now they have Jimmy Butler. Now they have Mo Harkless. Now they have Myers Leonard. They do lose Hassan Whiteside, but they're not dealing with the Dwayne Wade farewell tour anymore. Jimmy Butler is into Miami. I think he's going to elevate that franchise. That front office is hungry to make moves to make them competitive this offseason. That's all you can ask for. I see Miami taking steps forward and passing a few teams this year. I have them as the sixth seed as it stands right now. The seventh seed. For me, you take Kawhi Leonard away from the Toronto Raptors, and this is where they fall. They've still got a lot of talent on that team, but Kyle Lowry's an outspoken Robin to somebody else's Batman. He's not ready to lead a team. Pascal Siakam got most improved player, deservedly so. He's not ready to lead a team. If you don't manage to re-sign Kawhi Leonard, your best players are Siakam, Lowry, and maybe Gasol. As good of a job as Nick Nurse did last year leading that team, There is no on-court leader for Toronto if Kawhi doesn't come back. They'll still have talent on that team. They'll still be a playoff team. But I think they fall to the seventh seed. The biggest losers in free agency this year aren't going to be the 76ers locking themselves into bad contracts for years to come. It's not going to be your favorite team that traded away a player you didn't want or got a player who's past his prime. The two biggest losers in this NBA free agency period will be whoever misses out on Kawhi Leonard between the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Raptors. Because free agency opens Sunday night, Kawhi is yet to make his decision. Those three teams have had to sit on salary cap money that they could be spending on a lot of other players that could help their team, and instead they got to sit and wait because Kawhi Leonard's going to require the max. And let me clarify something before the vultures jump all over me. No, the Lakers were not losers this offseason. Yes, they could be losers in free agency. They got Anthony Davis before free agency hit, but as far as signing talent goes to build up a roster around him, if they sit on that cap space and they don't build a roster around AD LeBron and maybe Kawhi, that makes them losers during free agency. Offseason as a whole, it's been one of the best in Laker history, and it could still get better at historical proportions. The prize is so big they're willing to wait, but players are flying off the board. Quality players who could help your team. And if Kawhi Leonard doesn't come back to Toronto, then they just waited while talented free agents flew off the board, and they let a bunch of money go to waste in the free agency period. Now, could they make moves at the trade deadline next year? Absolutely. Maybe they could go out and get an alpha there. But as of right now, as their roster sits right now without Kawhi Leonard, I have them as the seventh seed in the East. And bringing up the rear, the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, I've got the Detroit Pistons. Now, I think they're going to be better than their 41-41 and record last year, but standings-wise, I think they're going to stay in the same spot as they finished last year. Detroit really hasn't done anything that's made me think they're going to get worse this offseason. I do think they're going to be better. I think signing Derrick Rose is going to pay off once it's all said and done. A team with Derrick Rose, Andre Drummond, and Blake Griffin coming off a playoff appearance isn't going to miss the playoffs, provided they all stay healthy. And they have one of the best coaches in the NBA. Detroit might improve by a couple of games this year, finish over 500 in the regular season. But as of right now, I don't see them moving up in the Eastern Conference standings when it's all said and done. Those are my eight playoff teams in the Eastern Conference for next year. In this order, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Indiana, Brooklyn, Miami, Toronto, and Detroit. Now, I want to qualify that as we don't know where Kawhi Leonard's going yet. If he does go back to Toronto, 
That elevates the Raptors to the two seed, in my opinion. I think Kawhi Leonard makes that big of a difference. Kawhi's return would put Toronto in the two spot for me, and they would once again have a good shot at winning the NBA title. That bumps everybody down a spot. Boston goes to the number three hole. Then you have Philadelphia at four, Indiana five, Brooklyn back to six, and Miami at number seven. Detroit stays at eight. A few other teams in the Eastern Conference, a few other notables. The only team from last year's playoff field I don't have returning is Orlando. They're not doing anything. They're not making moves. Teams are passing them. Teams are getting better around them. And Nikola Vucevic, I'm not sure how much he even wants to be in Orlando. He was testing the waters this offseason. He was looking at a free agent deal somewhere else. To me, Orlando's just not doing enough to make me think they're going to stay above the waterline. Charlotte, they couldn't make the playoffs with Kemba Walker. You think they're going to do it without him? I love Terry Rozier. I think he'll do well there. But I don't think they have a team that's going to contend for the playoffs. Washington, still without John Wall. They finished 18 games under 500 last year. I don't see them getting much better. I don't see Chicago making moves to make themselves better. I think Cleveland, in fact, is going to pass Chicago in the standings when it's all said and done. Atlanta, I think, could be the most improved team. Atlanta drafted really well. They got DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. And they have a clear plan for who they want to be. Now, despite that, I don't think Atlanta's going to be a playoff contender. I don't see two top 10 picks coming in during the rookie season and turning around a franchise that finished 24 games under 500 last year. I think they're going in the right direction. I think they'll continue to take steps in the right direction. But I don't see Atlanta being a serious contender next year. They're still a year away. How about we go to the West? Again, this is all without Kawhi Leonard. Once he decides who he's playing for, this is subject to change. But this is what I'm going with right now. And I tell you what, this was tougher than the East. The number one seed for the last five years, we've known who it was. It hasn't been a tough question. This year it was a really tough question for me. Because Golden State's dynasty of running the NBA is over. They'll be a good team. They'll be a playoff team. I had them as a playoff team. But they're not running the world anymore. Before I give you this list, I want to say that there are ten teams in the West that I believe should be playoff teams. But only eight can go. And I have one perennial playoff power. Say that five times fast. One perennial playoff power is not going to make it this year. Here is my tentative list for the Western Conference. Again, this is a lot harder to do than the Eastern Conference. Without Kawhi Leonard knowing where he's going to play, keep in mind this entire list is based around not knowing where Kawhi is going to be next year. There's something that tells me the Lakers with just LeBron, just Anthony Davis, and a skeleton crew will not be the number one seed in the West. Something that tells me they're still a piece away or a few complimentary pieces away. They did get Jared Dudley, which was a nice pickup. And they do have Kyle Kuzma. They need to fill out that bench. Something tells me the Lakers, despite all the hype around them, are still going to get it wrong. Because that's what they've done for so many years now. But if the Lakers don't get the number one seed, then who? I can't think of anybody who would pass them. So I am going to go with the Lakers as the number one seed in the Western Conference tentatively. Number two, I'm going to deviate from my rule a little bit here. And I'm going to go with the Houston Rockets. Houston's got a problem. Not necessarily tempers, but competitive attitudes. They have a lot of guys who want to win, a coaching staff and a front office who are committed to doing whatever it takes to win. I think they're going to be making some moves here before it's all said and done. I think their roster right now and the roster they enter the playoffs with next year could look a lot different. I think that front office is going to be aggressive and get some extra pieces to make Houston a title contender. They were the four seed last year, but they finished one game out of the two seed. I think they'll take enough steps forward that they're going to be able to make that jump. 
In the three seed, I have last year's two seed. I see Denver not necessarily taking a step back. I think Houston's going to pass them. Denver's got a lot of young guys that aren't household names, and they lost Isaiah Thomas. Nikola Jokic, he's the real deal. He'll keep doing his thing. But Jamal Murray, he's kind of like Mark Giordano with the Calgary Flames. As good as he was last year, and he hasn't given us any reason to think he won't be that good next year, how do you replicate that? That's my worry with Denver. They'll still be a good team next year. They're still well coached. But I think Houston is going to put themselves in position to pass them when it's all said and done. I have Denver as the three seed. How far does Golden State fall? I'm going to say they're the four seed next year. I think Golden State will fall from their perennial place atop the Western Conference, and they will finish as the four seed going into next year's playoffs. Although without Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson's going to come back maybe in time for the playoffs. So they went out and they get D'Angelo Russell. That was a good move. They were signed Kevon Looney. Another really good move. He played really well for them during the postseason. The most significant loss is Kevin Durant. But keep in mind, they were a dominant team before Durant got there. They went to two NBA Finals and they won a title with Steph, Clay, and Draymond Green as their big three. Now you have a big three of Steph, Draymond, and D'Angelo Russell. Is D'Angelo Russell as good as Clay Thompson? Absolutely not. But he's still an all-star, and if Russell can be 75% of what Clay Thompson was, there's no reason Golden State can't at least be the four seed in the Western Conference. No, D'Angelo Russell's not Clay Thompson, but he's still a top-tier guard in the NBA, and he's still a scoring threat for that team. He'll be a good number two. He was a good number one for a Brooklyn team that got the sixth seed in the East this year with significantly less talented teammates. Plug D'Angelo Russell in for Clay Thompson. They're certainly not going to be the dominant power in the West anymore, but there's no reason they can't at least be the four seed and be about 10 games over 500. Five, I've got the Portland Trailblazers. They've got most of their key pieces back, plus they added Hassan Whiteside, and I think Terry Stotts is an underrated head coach. So why am I saying they dropped two spots in the standings? Other teams have just gotten better. The Lakers got better. They're going to pass Portland in the standings. While Houston hasn't made any significant moves this offseason, I think they're going to. I think Houston is going to add players to that roster that are going to help them be a title contender, maybe not during the offseason, but during the season. Portland did the right thing bringing back Damian Lillard, plus Hassan Whiteside is going to be a really good fill-in for Enos Cantor. Yet, I still don't see them finishing in the top half of the Western Conference this year. Not to say that Portland's gotten any worse. In fact, they might have gotten better, but the Western Conference as a whole has gotten better. Here's another team that probably got better this offseason, but I'm still putting them down a spot in the standings. The Utah Jazz. Bringing in Boyan Bogdanovich. That was huge. Plus, Mike Conley is coming in, and I think Donovan Mitchell is going to rebound after his sophomore slump. Plus, Quinn Snyder's another underrated head coach. Utah's going to have a pretty good team coming back. I was worried about them a few weeks ago. I'm not so worried anymore. Their front office is making sure they are going to be a playoff team. I have Utah making it back as the sixth seed. The seventh seed. Boy, if they don't get Kawhi Leonard, this is where I have the Clippers going. They've still got a pretty good group there, but they are sitting on a lot of cap space that if Kawhi doesn't sign with them, it's just going to waste during free agency. And they let a lot of good players fly off the board because they were holding on to that money in the hopes that they would use it to sign Kawhi Leonard. So will they be buying at the trade deadline? Will they be making moves during the season? Absolutely they will. And Doc Rivers, you all know how I feel about him. Won a title with the Celtics, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Clippers will be a playoff team, but Kawhi is that missing piece, that missing element that will elevate them to the top half of the Western Conference if they get him. And finally, in the number eight slot, 
the San Antonio Spurs. Roster-wise, they're easily the weakest of anybody who can make the playoffs. In fact, there are two teams I'm leaving out of the playoffs that have better rosters than San Antonio. But there's no way Greg Popovich misses the playoffs. I am convinced that as long as he is a head coach in the NBA, his teams are not going to miss the playoffs. Never. Popovich is too good of a coach, and last year proved that. Last year, it was pretty much a skeleton crew roster led by DeMar DeRozan. And yet, he still got him into the playoffs as a seven seed, and they gave Denver a pretty good fight in the first round of the postseason. San Antonio's not that talented, but as far as coaches go, they have one of the best to ever do so. Notice I left out the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think this is the year it finally implodes for them. Despite having an MVP finalist on the bench in Paul George, I think this is the year it finally implodes. They're going to clean house. I think Billy Donovan is done there after this season. And they're going to realize Russell Westbrook is more of a liability than anything at this point. I'm convinced that they have Russ on their roster just for relevancy. It's Paul George's team. And Russ has talent. I'm not denying that. He was an all-NBA guard this year. But at some point, they're going to have to realize it's not a good fit. I think this is the year it finally implodes for Oklahoma City. I want to put New Orleans in the postseason as well. But I still think there are too many teams that are ahead of them. They're going to make a run. I wouldn't be shocked if New Orleans does make the playoffs this year with J.J. Redick and Zion Williamson and company. But I still think that there are too many teams ahead of them. I think they're good enough to be a playoff team. But as a whole, the West is just too good. Those are my way too early playoff predictions for the 2019-2020 NBA postseason. Again, all that subject to change when we find out where Kawhi Leonard is going. Let's take a time out when we come back. A tough loss for the Brewers last night. Are we able to draw comparisons between them and last year's Celtics? Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Peyton Manning says that he will not accept the position as color commentator for ESPN's Monday Night Football if offered to him. Both the Denver Broncos and New York Giants are on the Monday Night Football schedule this year. Many of Peyton's former teammates from Super Bowl 50 still play for Denver. And of course, his younger brother Eli is the Giants QB. Peyton claimed he did not want to critique them publicly. However, he says he is open to a future in broadcast. The domestic violence charges against Phillies outfielder Odubel Herrera have been dropped. Herrera was arrested by Atlantic City Police back in May and has been placed on administrative leave by the team. While the legal case is dropped, Major League Baseball is launching an internal investigation and Herrera could still be subject to fines and or suspension. There is no timetable for his reinstatement. And finally... A serial toilet clogger in Wisconsin has been sentenced to 150 days in jail. A Sheboygan man faced 12 counts of property damage when he was caught clogging workplace toilets with plastic bottles so that they would overflow. In addition to the 150 days in custody, the clogger will serve three years probation, complete 100 hours of community service, and will pay $5,500 in restitution. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Tanner Hoops with you as we start to wind down the workday. 
Well, I tell you what, another tough loss for Milwaukee last night. They're walked off in Cincinnati 5-4 to in 11 innings. It's how it happened, though, that seems to be the most heartbreaking. A base hit to right field, Christian Yelich gets it in. The ball seems to take a weird hop off the glove of first baseman Eric Thames. It rolls to the third base side of home plate. Catcher Yasmani Grandal goes over to retrieve it up the third base line. Yasiel Puig running at third sees nobody's covering home. It becomes a foot race to the plate, and Puig scores the winning run to walk it off. It ends a streak of six straight wins for Milwaukee at Great American Ballpark. In fact, that's kind of been the Brewers' home away from home. They've won 11 of the last 16 meetings in Cincinnati. So I tell you what, are there any comparisons between this Milwaukee Brewers team and the Boston Celtics that just got beat out in the second round of the playoffs by the Milwaukee Bucks? Let's think about the Brewers. Last year they won the division... They had a rally to the end of the season. They won 24 their last 32 to force a one-game playoff. They beat the Cubs and win the Central with 96 wins. This year, I thought they were going to continue to take steps forward. I predicted 100 wins for the Brewers this year. The offense is even better with Yasmani Grandal. The pitching staff wasn't great last year. The starters were the weakest part. The bullpen was supposed to anchor them. And yet outside of Josh Hader and Zach Davies... Neither the starters nor the bullpen have been that impressive for Milwaukee this year. In fact, they've taken a step back from last year. They're still a good team, but the Brewers came up one game short of the World Series last year. Think about the Boston Celtics. So much optimism after Kyrie Irving went down and they still made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals, came up one game short of the NBA Finals last year. This year they came in with the expectations that the Eastern Conference was theirs. Milwaukee had to have some similar thoughts. Yeah, the Dodgers are still relevant. They're still a power. They were still going to contend. But the Celtics thought the same thing with teams like Toronto and Philadelphia and Milwaukee waiting in the wings. And while the Brewers are still a good team, they're still leading the Central Division. They're not running away with it or showing dominance like we thought they would. They're not taking that step forward. They've taken a small step back. Very similar to what the Boston Celtics did this past year. So where do we go from here? The saving grace for Milwaukee here is that they put together a strong second half last season and particularly a strong last month. And the All-Star break is coming at a great time for them. Offensively, all the pieces are there. But they got to go into the deadline and get some pitching. I thought Eulis was going to continue to get better. Looking at his past, I guess I should have figured that he was going to have a down year. The Brewers can mash. They have guys waiting in the minors that are big league bats. But the pitching staff just hasn't been living up to par. Here's where they differ from the Celtics a little bit. Last year during the Celtics' struggles, I always thought they had the talent on the roster to figure things out. That they could get things clicking all of a sudden, that they have all the pieces there. I don't feel the same way about Milwaukee. Offensively, they have all the pieces. Pitching-wise, they need help. That's where I want to see Milwaukee attack the trade deadline. You gotta take advantage of this team. What you have right here is something special. You've got three all-star bats this year. One of them potentially is going to repeat as MVP. If there was any year for Milwaukee to go all-in, this is it. And I'd kind of like to see it happen. As good as their farm system is, they can do it without much risk to the future. Milwaukee's got to get some top-tier pitching. I tell you what, let's take our last time out. When we come back, where is Titletown, USA? I got a game we're going to play, and we're going to determine the most successful sports cities in the U.S. and Canada in the modern era. 
That is coming up next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, check it out on demand with our free mobile app. Get it from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just look up ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you here in our final few minutes before we get into the 4th of July holiday. Here's a project that I've had a lot of fun with. Believe me, I filled up a notebook. I've got the whiteboard out here in the office. Will Kane would be so proud. And I wanted to determine the most successful sports city in America. And I came up with a formula to do so. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down every city that has won some kind of title in American pro sports. That'd be out of the four major sports. The NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and the NHL. Out of all those leagues... Who has been the most successful sports city in the modern era, dating back to the year 2000? What I'm going to do is I'm going to assign a point value to every title that has been won between the cities in that league. Ten points for a league championship. Five points for a conference championship. You get to the finals, the World Series, the Super Bowl, and you lose. You were still there, you get five points. You win it, you get ten. Two points for every divisional title. All four leagues have divisions. Some, they matter more than others. The NBA should just do away with it. They're meaningless. And then here's kind of a tiebreaker. One point for every regular season championship. That'd be the President's Trophy in the NHL, and that would be for whoever has the best record during that season in their respective sport. If there's a tie, they split that one point. Each gets half. And with this formula, we are going to determine the most successful sports city in America. Probably have an idea of who it is, but some of these results might surprise you. Again, the point value, 10 for a league championship, 5 for a conference championship, which means appearing in the finals, World Series, or Super Bowl, but not winning it. 2 for every divisional championship, and 1 for a regular season championship. I know the regular season isn't what it's about, but there's something to be said for having success throughout the year, especially when you're dominating over your peers. Again, we're going back to the year 2000, the modern era, and one last qualifier. The titles are awarded by city, not franchise. So if the franchise moved, they don't get to take that title with them. For example, the St. Louis Rams Super Bowl victory over the Titans, that doesn't get credited toward L.A. That gets credited toward St. Louis because that was the city in which the team was based at the time of the event. The L.A. Rams' most recent Super Bowl appearance, that'll be five points toward L.A. Here are the results. Here's what we have for Title Town USA. Let's start with the top 10. Coming in 10th is Oakland, California. They got 76 points on my formula. The Golden State Warriors had a lot to do with that. Because Oracle Arena is in Oakland, that's why Golden State's titles are credited to the city of Oakland. Three NBA titles, five Western Conference championships, and one Super Bowl appearance, the Raiders back in 2003 when they lost to the Buccaneers, the Pirate Bowl. Oakland, California is the 10th most successful sports city in America based on my algorithm. Number 9, Miami, Florida, 79 points. And a lot of that has to do with LeBron and Chris Bosh and D-Wade. Three NBA championships, five finals appearances, And one World Series, keep in mind, the Florida Marlins. They changed their name, not their city. The Florida Marlins won the World Series back in 2003 with Jack McKeon at the helm. Miami is represented in all four leagues, but 
but the lion's share of Miami's sports success in the modern era has come from the Heat. The Marlins back in the day, and very little from the Dolphins or the Panthers. Miami is number nine on our list of most successful sports cities in America in the modern era. Number eight. Here's where that regular season tiebreaker comes into play. Half a point ahead of Miami is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 79.5 points. Since the modern era, again the year 2000, they have one World Series championship, one Super Bowl, two National League pennants, one Stanley Cup final appearance, and two NFC championships. You throw in a couple of divisional titles in there, a few regular season championships, and Philadelphia is number eight on our list of most successful sports cities. Number seven, with 85 points, is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The lion's share of Pittsburgh's success has come from the Steelers and the Penguins. Since the year 2000, Pittsburgh has appeared in four Stanley Cup finals. They've won three of them. They've appeared in three Super Bowls and won two of them. The Pirates are contenders in the NL Central every once in a while, but they haven't appeared in any title recently, and Pittsburgh doesn't have basketball. They are the second most successful sports city that does not have teams in all four major leagues. The only team in that category ahead of them is sixth overall, and that is St. Louis, Missouri, with 90.5 points. Since the year 2000, the city of St. Louis has celebrated two World Series, one Super Bowl, and most recently a Stanley Cup, their first ever. A few other highlights, four National League pennants and two NFC championships. That was back when they still had the Rams. St. Louis hasn't had basketball during that time, and they lost their football team, and yet the city is still cranking out championships. They are number six on our list of most successful sports cities in the modern era. So again, six through ten on our list. St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Miami, and Oakland. Once again, in case you missed it, we are going through the most successful sports cities in America and Canada through the modern era, dating back to 2000. Ten points for every championship that city celebrated, five points for every runner-up finish, two for every division title, and one for every regular season championship. Let's keep on going into the top five. Number five on the list? Detroit, Michigan, with 93 points since the turn of the century. Detroit has celebrated two Stanley Cups, 2002 and 2008, an NBA Finals Championship, 2004, and two American League pennants, just to name a few. Detroit is represented in all four major sports. However, the Lions contributed zero total points to Detroit's score. The Lions have never won a divisional title in this millennium. They have not won a regular season title. They have not reached a Super Bowl. So even though the city's represented by four teams, three of them have contributed to making Detroit the fifth most successful sports city in the modern era. Number four on the list, Chicago, Illinois, 94 and a half points. They have celebrated three Stanley Cups, two World Series championships, one each for the Cubs and White Sox, and one Super Bowl appearance. That came back in Super Bowl 41. Chicago is represented by five teams, the Bulls, the White Sox, the Cubs, the Bears, and the Blackhawks. Number three on our list of most successful sports cities in America and Canada in the modern era is New York City, 114 and a half points. They have been to three Super Bowls. They've won two of them, all three of those appearances made by the New York Giants. They have won two World Series, both by the Yankees, and they've accumulated six pennants between the Yankees and the Mets, plus the Rangers appeared in the Stanley Cup Final back in 2014. You can put an asterisk next to New York, and if we really wanted to be fair about it, we could divide by the number of teams that a city is represented by. 
because having more teams to represent you certainly helps get your score up. The Knicks are the only New York basketball team. Otherwise, you've got two in baseball between the Yankees and Mets, two in football between the Giants and Jets, and two in hockey between the Rangers and Islanders. So if you really want to get technical and divide their score by seven, and then multiply it by four, that they're represented by one team in each league, I'll do that quick. I'll punch it in here in the calculator. You get 65. Again, if you really want to get technical about it, you can do that. But that would be New York's score if they're represented by four teams instead of seven. Number two on our title town list, Los Angeles, California, 153 points. Five NBA championships, all of them belong to the Lakers, seven Western Conference championships, two Stanley Cups, two World Series appearance, both by the Dodgers, and one Super Bowl appearance, the LA Rams this year. The Angels won a World Series back in 2002, but they were still the Anaheim Angels at the time. That World Series championship credited to Anaheim. L.A. is another city that has seven teams. Two baseball, Dodgers and Angels. Two football, Chargers and Rams. Two basketball, Lakers and Clippers. And one hockey, the Kings. So if you want to take their 153, divide it by 7, multiply it by 4, you get a score of 87. So if you averaged out L.A. and you capped them at being represented by four teams, their average score would put them just behind St. Louis, a couple points ahead of Pittsburgh. And number one on our list is Boston, Massachusetts. No surprise there. 227 points since the year 2000. Six Super Bowl championships, nine AFC championships, four World Series, one Stanley Cup, three Stanley Cup final appearances, two NBA final appearances, and one NBA title. And unlike New York and L.A., Boston accumulates that kind of success by only being represented by one team in each sport. So no surprises there, Boston has been the most successful sports city of the modern era. So again, the top ten, Boston, L.A., New York, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Miami, and Oakland. Let's go through the rest of the list before we sign off, because while the top may have been as expected, there are a few surprises when you keep going down the list. 11th on the list, this may be the most impressive, by the way, is the city of San Antonio, Texas. And it's impressive because they finished with 72.5 points. They only have one major pro sports team, the San Antonio Spurs. They are by far the most successful city with only one major pro sports team. The rest of the top 15, Dallas with 63 points. Denver's got 61. How about this? 14th on my list, Newark, New Jersey. That's one of the more surprising ones. Newark, New Jersey is in the top 15 because of the New Jersey Nets and the New Jersey Devils. New Jersey appeared in a few Stanley Cup finals. They won one of them. The Nets had quite a few division titles back in their day. The Nets' success in Newark doesn't follow them to Brooklyn. Brooklyn starts anew there. Newark's only had one professional team for almost 10 years now, and yet they're still top 15 in most successful sports cities in the modern era. 15th on the list Cleveland, half a point behind Newark at 59.5. Browns didn't do a whole lot for them there. So again, the top 15, San Antonio, Dallas, Denver, Newark, and Cleveland. It's even more impressive when you see who Newark finished ahead of. 16 through 20, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Indianapolis, and Tampa Bay tied. And then Seattle comes in at 20th. 21 through 25, Phoenix, Houston, and Milwaukee Green Bay, all tied for 21st. I combine Milwaukee and Green Bay. They've got that weird relationship where Milwaukee technically has two home games at Lambeau. Packer fans, you know all about that. Because of that, we're going to throw in the Packer, the Bucks, and the Brewers' success together. 
Anaheim comes in 24th, Atlanta 25th. They're followed by Baltimore, Kansas City, Toronto, and Minneapolis. St. Paul tie for 28th, and then New Orleans comes in 30th. 31 through 35, Nashville, Charlotte, and Vancouver tie. Raleigh because of the Carolina Hurricanes, and San Jose comes in 35th. 36 through 40, San Diego, Oklahoma City, Orlando, Ottawa, and Cincinnati tie. Calgary follows them, then Salt Lake City and Montreal tie. Las Vegas, Sacramento ties for 45th along with Edmonton and Buffalo, Portland 48th, and then Jacksonville rounds out the standings at 49th. Only 49 cities have won some kind of title, whether it be league, conference, division, or regular season in one of the four major sports leagues since the year 2000. There are quite a few sports cities that aren't on this list, like Memphis or Winnipeg. Still waiting to win even their first division title. So that's what we have for Title Town USA. Our worst fears confirmed. Boston is still Title Town USA in the modern era. Hey, I tell you what, that is it for us. As always, I appreciate you tuning in and hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, we will be off tomorrow for the holiday. I'll be back on Friday afternoon. Ryan Steig of the Mining Journal will join me then. Hope to have you join us as well. Until then, have a safe and blessed fourth. My name's Tanner Hoops. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for tuning in to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.